Well, good morning, Life Church. Thank you, Big Jim. He's the only one who said hello. So, uh, good morning, Life Church. That's ah, much better. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hey, it is a uh, truly, it is a uh, a great day uh, to be here. How many of you are ready for Christmas? Just going to fast forward a whole year here. Um, it is, uh, you know, it really is a privilege uh, that we have uh, every single week to gather together uh, as the family of God. And I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness. It's uh, super easy to, uh, for those, um, or it's super easy to not come and be a part given everything that's going on around us. And so I appreciate each one of you making the effort to be here in person. And those who are online, thank you for watching uh, week after week after week. It really is, uh, we count it a privilege uh, to be in ministry alongside of you in, uh, in this season. Uh, I was on an airplane once a number of years ago flying to Springfield, Missouri. Anybody ever been to Springfield, Missouri? You're not missing much. And um, so uh, plane ride to Springfield, Missouri, out of Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, the planes that fly out of Kansas City, Missouri to go to Springfield, Missouri are not large. These are not like the, the you know, 737, 747, not like that at all, right? These are, these are the ones where if you're a tall person, you understand the pain, where you, you kind of go into it. It's a very small tube. And you, you kind of walk like this down the aisle to try to find a little tiny seat to say, all right, that, that's, that's the kind of plane that I was on, and it was super exciting. And it was bad weather. You ever flown in bad weather before? How many have been, been on an airplane in bad weather, like really bad weather? Plane jumping around, wings, you look out and you're going, these wings are falling off. I know they are, right? So on this little tiny plane, we are getting tossed around like crazy on this little plane. And uh, you know it's bad when the flight attendant has a little bit of fear in their eyes. <laughs> a little bit of like, hey, are we going to make this? Is it going to be okay today? That, that's kind of what it felt like when we were on this uh, plane down to Springfield, Missouri. So we get down there, and the, uh, the, the, the pilot is, you know, he comes over and says, hey, we're gonna, you know, we need to fly around a little bit and find a clearing in the storm you know, so we can uh, land and we're like, okay, good, but it's, I mean, it is just bad, and we're getting nervous, and he's flying around. It was about a half an hour or so that he's flying around uh, Springfield, Missouri, in the storm. You can't see anything. I mean, you know, just, just nuts. It was during the winter, so it was winter storm, and you can see lightning in a winter storm. It's beautiful. And uh, we're fearful, and, you know, you're looking at these people who are strangers and thumbs up or thumbs down, you know, kind of one of those things. And uh, at some point, uh, the last time around, the, uh, the, the pilot hops back on to the little microphone thing. And, um, you know, when, when the pilot speaks, there, there's a sense of authority that comes along with that pilot, right? And that's what you hope to hear coming out of their voice when they, they get over in a tough situation. So the pilot gets over the, the, the mic and he goes, well, we're fairly confident we can have a successful landing so we're going to make an attempt at this. <laughs> Prayers instantly erupt, right? People that aren't even Christians are like, oh, God, if there's a God, save us, right? So we have that moment. We feel, anybody ever been in that situation before where you're going, I really wish there was some confidence going along uh, with this, but there was persistence on the part of this pilot, right? And this persistence, well, you can tell the outcome of the uh, you can tell the outcome of the landing 
Uh, I didn't die. Okay, so that's part of it. So nobody did. Um, But there was this persistence of this pilot taking a risk. He was confident in his own abilities, even if we weren't so confident in the way that he shared uh, that, uh, that confidence of his own. And we landed. It was crazy. It's one of those you felt like you're landing sideways. I mean, it's just, just weird. I mean, it was, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. I hope all of you have an opportunity to experience that sometime in your life. So you can join me. I actually had a flight attendant from last service who says, yep, I've been on that plane I've been in that situation a number of times, and it is, uh, is a little bit freaky. Um, so we ended last week with Jesus having called his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And this begins this incredible journey for them, and uh, eight more disciples are added a little bit later on in the story. Uh, but these four disciples begin this journey with Jesus, and it radically transforms their lives. Last week also, we found out a little bit about Mark, the author of the, uh, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, he is a guy that's writing for action. He is writing, and it is just, you know, one action-packed moment after another action-packed moment, reading to, or uh, writing to the people of uh, the, Roman, uh, the Roman culture of the time. They were power, it was authority, it was action and speed, and so he's writing to them, and his story carries that kind of weight. So a miracle at the end of uh, Mark chapter 1, after this, uh, after this calling of these disciples, a miracle happens, and crowds of people are gathered around Jesus, and uh, Mark just travels from one chapter to the next one, and he hits Mark chapter 2, not even able to take a breath, kind of like that last song we sang, <laughs> trying to breathe through the, through the mask, and I can't do it. And this is what he says, Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, after some days, when he returned to Capernaum, uh, this is a town on the Sea of Galilee, the news spread that he was at home. So Jesus potentially at his own home or the the place where it was was kind of his uh, base of operation. So many gathered there that there was no longer any room, not even by the door, and he preached the word to them. Some people came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. So the picture is of a bit of chaos. Uh, Jesus is there uh, teaching in this, uh, in this home, uh, which would have been a pretty small home. And, you know, maybe hundreds of people are now, now gathered outside of this home just wanting to hear this preacher preach. If you've ever been on a missions trip before, you might have experienced something like this. Uh, well, none of us are Jesus, right? Uh, but uh, I've been in places in Mexico where you just start preaching, set up that tent or whatever, and people are, you know, just at least many years ago, kind of scrambling to try to get there. And you can see them in the windows trying to listen in to what's happening in this, uh, in this experience. And this is what it would have been uh, for, the, uh, for the Jews at this time. And so they are gathered around. People are trying to get in. And Mark mentions that, this, um, that these friends were bringing a paralytic uh, in to be able to see Jesus. Um, these folks were hanging on every word that Jesus was speaking. I mean, Jesus had them in his hands when I mean, he is speaking about the kingdom of God, speaking about repentance and healing. Remember, his message that he gave at the very beginning last week was, repent for the kingdom of God is near, and he is giving this message again. So these... Uh, these guys who are carrying the paralytic, they can't get into the house. And so they're starting to get a little bit desperate um, to get 
to Jesus. You ever been desperate before to get somewhere? Right? And so they see these probably like long lines, crowds of people gathered around trying to get in. And, and uh, if, so we are, we're part of the American culture. Right? What do we do if we see lines? My daughter uh, yesterday was out shopping, and she ended up at, uh, Tra- she loves Trader Joe's for some reason, and so she goes to Trader Joe's, you know, makes a long trip, you know, the, the hours-long trip across the valley. And uh, so she gets there, and there are, there's a crowd of people trying to get into Trader Joe's. So what does she do? Like any good American, she's like, I'm not going to wait in line. <laughs> So I'm going to know I'm going to get the crowd. So, so she goes, and she's like, well, i got to get my car washed, so I'm going to go wash my car. So she shows up at the place. I can't remember where it was. Shows up there to get her car washed, and what's there waiting her? A line. <laughs> so now she has to wait in a line when she could have been waiting in another line. This is the American way, right? We don't want to be in line. You ever been um, uh, to, like, Disney World, Disneyland, you know, all that stuff, like, there, and the lines are hours long so much fun, especially with like a four-year-old. It is so much fun. Parents, you got to do it one time in your life. Changes your life. You're like, never again. <laughs> so they, they start to get a little bit desperate. They see this crowd gathering outside of this, this home, and they want to get to where Jesus is. So they get a little bit desperate, and desperate people, people of faith, are going to do something a little bit crazy at times. Mark chapter 2, verse 4. When they were not able to bring him in because of the crowd... I love this. They removed the roof above Jesus. <laughs> Imagine somebody just popping in right now. <laughs> just cutting a hole in the roof, right? They removed the roof above Jesus. Then after tearing it out, that's pretty visual, um, they're tearing the roof out while Jesus is trying to preach. I mean, uh, plaster coming down from the ceiling, whatever it is, they are desperate to get to where Jesus is. It says, then after tearing it out, they lowered the stretcher and the, um, the, the paralytic was lying on. So this is not a small hole. This is not, it's not like they're making a small hole and just kind of, Jesus, we need some help up here. That's not it. They are tearing the roof out and dropping, you know, like a five, five foot, you know, hole that they dig in the roof. It's crazy. Then it says, when Jesus saw their faith, Whose faith? When Jesus saw their faith, I mean, it, it almost seems like it's the faith of these four friends of the paralytic. He said, Jesus said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. When's the last time you tore a hole in somebody's roof that they didn't want you to tear a hole in, right? I've torn holes in before they wanted me to. When's the last time you tore a hole in a roof to get to Jesus. So interesting things are helping, uh, are happening here. Uh, never is it recorded that anybody's asking for healing for this paralytic, by the way. Do you notice that? Nobody's like, it's not like they're lowering, hey, Jesus, we need you to heal our friend. There's none of that language is there. Jesus just looks at this guy and proclaims over him forgiveness of sins, which is very important. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But the great thing is, It says that Jesus saw something in this moment. It says that he saw the faith of these friends. How do you see something that is intangible? 
How do you see something that's ethereal, something you can't, I mean, you can't like collect it, put it in a bottle and say, here is faith, right? You can't, you can't do that. So what is it about what Jesus saw that was faith? And the crazy thing is, is that this faith, whatever this was, this moved Jesus to respond. It moved him. It moved God to respond. So the question is, what does faith look like? Can you put your finger on what faith looks like? Well, I think I'd like to give three simple definitions here that that I hope will challenge us when it comes to our faith. What does faith look like? Well, it's persistent, it's risky, and it's confident. It's persistent, it's risky, and it's confident. This is the faith that got the attention of God. This is the faith that Jesus noticed, something that was intangible, something that you couldn't see. This is what Jesus saw. It's persistent because his friends didn't give up. They didn't see the crowd and just go, uh, we're going to find another time that Jesus is is speaking. We see that he's going to be speaking again in about two hours, so we're going to wait until that time is there, and maybe we'll be at the front of the line, we'll get in. There was a persistence in that moment that drove them. The actions of this man's friends show that they were willing to do anything to get him to Jesus. And this persistent faith is something that shows up in the book of Mark time and time and time again. In fact, some of the stories we're going to get to a little bit later on in the series, but uh, just kind of in a nutshell here, this persistent faith, this idea that I am not stopping until Jesus responds, You see this in a guy by the name of Jairus who is a father who is desperate and persistent for his daughter. There was a woman that had an issue of blood. There's a woman whose bleeding would not stop for 12 years, and she would stop at nothing to get to Jesus. This persistence marked her faith. In uh, chapter 7, there's the faith of a mother for her daughter. In chapter 9, it's the faith of a father for a son. In chapter 10, it's this blind man named Bartimaeus who wouldn't let the crowd shut him up because he had to get to where Jesus was. He was persistent in his faith. This is the kind of faith that God takes note of. Second thing was is it's risky. Like I said earlier, when was the last time you cut a hole in a neighbor's house? in order to get them to Jesus. I don't recommend doing that. That's called vandalism. Okay, so I'm not, don't say, well, a pastor said I could cut holes in people's houses and bring them to Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. Don't take me literally here. (laughs) Lawsuits, you know, life church sued. Yeah, that'd be great. When is the last time you cut a hole in a neighbor's house to get a friend to Jesus? When is the last time that you lived a faith that was risky? So the reader and the listener to the story, we take delight in the audacity of faith shown by these friends who are willing to demolish a home. Remember, this is the home that Jesus called home. They are ripping into the roof of Jesus' own house. Jesus could have done the Thanos snap right in that moment, don't mess with my roof, right? And they'd be gone. Instead, he sees it as faith. It's a risky faith. The faith, nonetheless, and Jesus is moved by it. And it's confident. Right? These four friends were confident that if they could just get to Jesus, that Jesus would respond. That Jesus somehow would do something that they didn't even know how to ask for because they were, seems like, kind of silent as they were coming down. 
And Jesus calls out the deepest need of this paralytic, which was for his sins to be forgiven. They were confident that Jesus would do something. Faith is not a magic formula, by the way, that compels God to act. That's not what faith is. Faith is this expression of dependence upon God Almighty because we have nowhere else to turn, folks. That's the kind of faith that moves the heart of God. Is this the kind of faith that you express? When was the last time that you believed enough to be persistent, risky, and confident in Jesus' ability to meet your need? When was the last time that you were persistent and risky and confident enough in, your, in, in, in having faith enough for your friends who are far away from Jesus? When was the last time? Heard a story recently of uh, some folks here at Life Church who were praying for uh, someone all the way down in Brazil and uh, praying for them and, and somehow had gotten in contact with these folks and then they prayed for this individual, had recently had a liver transplant, um, was not doing well, was in a ton of pain and uh, the doctors were not at all confident in uh, him, you know, his life being uh, carried out in any, any, um, in any good sort of way. Uh, but these individuals prayed for this guy over the phone, asked God to bless, asked God to take away the pain. And I, I believe before that phone was hung up, that person was, was living with no pain. And to this day, God has continued to work a miracle in his life. He's now home, no longer in any pain. Just a beautiful story of God's uh, response to a risky kind of faith. Right? When you start praying for healing, it's a risky kind of faith. Another, another part of the story that goes in, uh, also in Brazil, uh, a lady by the name of Claudia who had cancer, um, I believe about a 50 millimeter cancerous tumor that uh, this group, they, they prayed for, that tumor shrunk within a couple of days down to 12, and then I just received an update yesterday about it, um, that this person really has no sign of any cancer, and the doctors are reconsidering the fact that this person might not need any sort of treatment in her body because we believe God is a God who heals, right? So when was the last time we had the kind of risky, confident, persistent kind of faith that moves the hand of God? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and convinced of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and convinced of what we do not see. So it is this kind of faith, and remember, what did Jesus see? It was physical action on the part of the friends. That's what Jesus saw that moved him. It was that persistent risky, confident faith that showed up in action, not just in words, not just in silent prayers. It was the action that they gave that Jesus saw, and Jesus interpreted that as faith. And it results in both internal and external transformations for this paralytic. Remember Jesus' first words from last week, the message that he gave that he started to preach was, repent. That was the first, repent. For the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Make your hearts right with God. Do a 180 away from the road you were on to the new road of faith. That's what Jesus started with. And so what does the kingdom of God look like? Right, it starts with repentance. The kingdom of God is near you. What does it look like? It looks like exactly what Jesus is doing on this day for this paralytic. 
is answering the deepest heart's cry of this paralytic to have a right relationship with God. This is where it starts. Um, and then don't miss this important part. I've already talked about it a little bit, but don't miss this important part. It is the friend's faith that moves God towards this paralytic. This is what Jesus sees. Do you believe for your friends? Do you believe for those who are far away from God at this point? Do you have that kind of faith for them? So this isn't the end of the story, though. Mark 2 introduces us as readers to a conflict that we're going to see from uh, Mark chapter 2 up through Mark chapter 5. These three chapters, it's Jesus over and over and over again dealing with uh, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and others who are here called the, uh, the teachers of the law. So there's conflict that, have you ever had conflict in your life? (laughs) This is Jesus we're talking about. Lots of conflict going on for the next three chapters. And Mark is just driving this home that the ministry that Jesus uh, engaged in was not easy ministry. And so they are pushing up against the authority of Jesus. These teachers of the law, their minds are being blown by the things Jesus is doing and saying. Um, And as Jesus says to this paralytic, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Their brains explode. These teachers of the law, they can't handle it. They, they, they're, they're, maybe their heart rate starts rising because they're angry, because they are saying God and God alone can forgive sins. Nobody else can. So they're mad. They're frustrated. They're, try, they're probably looking or they're probably searching their mind and all the memorized uh, scriptures that they have from the Torah, from the Old Testament, from the Tanakh, all the things that they have studied, the Mishnah, all these things that they have studied, looking for a way to refute Jesus, to put Jesus in his place. Mark chapter 2, verse 8. Now immediately, remember Mark loves this word, now immediately when Jesus realized in his spirit that they, the religious leaders, were contemplating such thoughts, he said to them, why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, stand up, take your stretcher and walk? Which is easier to say? It's kind of a rhetorical question that Jesus asks here, um, because in reality, both are impossible for man to do, right? So, you know, your, your sins are forgiven. I can proclaim that over, but it's relatively meaningless, right? So which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk, be healed? Can you see the forgiveness of sins in a person immediately? No, I, I, at least I've never been able to. I can't see that. But I can see a healing. I can see something physical that's happened in the life of someone. So for Jesus, the authority to forgive is seen in the command to heal. Do you understand that? So the authority to forgive is seen in the command to heal. So Mark chapter 2 says this, verse 10. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Remember, the Romans, Mark is writing to them. The word authority is very important to Mark. So authority is power. Authority is the sense of being in charge. So that the Son, you can see that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. What's he saying? 
He's saying the Son of Man is God. Because only God has authority to forgive sins. So don't miss that. He says, in order to, uh, to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I tell you, stand up, take your stretcher, and go home. It says, and immediately, there's that word again, immediately the man stood up, took his stretcher, and went out in front of them all. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So he did the miracle which they could see, that they might know that he had done the other one that they could not see. In other words, he gave physical healing, something that's impossible for a man to do, to show that he also had the authority to forgive sins, again, that's impossible for man to do, only God. So there are people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God in the Bible. There are people who claim that he never put himself in that position, but this is one of those very, very clear moments, if you understand the setting of what's going on, that Jesus proclaims himself in this moment to be equivalent to God, to be able to forgive sins. Oh, and by the way, he also heals physically as well, which is a good thing. So the significance of this is not to be understood that Jesus healed physically. That's not the ultimate part of the story. The ultimate part of the story is, the bottom line is, the forgiveness of sins and that Jesus can forgive sins because that's reserved only for God. That's the heart of the story. So we have to go to this again to understand that this is part of the kingdom of God that Jesus is revealing from his original preaching, repent, because the kingdom of God is near. What does the kingdom of God look like? The kingdom of God looks like forgiveness of sins. The kingdom of God looks like wholeness being restored. The kingdom of God looks like broken things being made right. The kingdom of God is forgiveness. The kingdom of God is restoration, reconciliation. And Jesus is showing this by his actions with this one paralytic. paralytic, And it all starts because four friends have faith enough to have action associated with it. So that paralytic is, is lowered down. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Reminds me of David in Psalm 51. David had just committed atrocious sins. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your loyal love. Because of your great compassion, wipe away my rebellious acts. Wash away my wrongdoing. Cleanse me of my sin." In no place here does David say, look at what I've done. Look at all the nice things I've done in order to make my relationship right with you, God. He says, no, <laughs> cleanse me of my sins. I have done wrong. There is nothing in me that's deserving of your mercy, but have mercy on me. And Psalm 32 says, how blessed is the one whose rebellious acts are forgiven, whose sin is pardoned. There is a blessing associated with the forgiveness of sins. That's a blessing greater than any physical healing. It's a blessing that's greater than any financial blessing. It is a, it is a strength in us that outweighs all other strengths in our lives, that forgiveness of sins that is given to us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We celebrated earlier in communion. Um. 
And so this heart of the message of Jesus from the very beginning, remember, repent for the kingdom of God is near. I'm going back to that over and over again because this is that heart of Jesus on display. Repent, get right with God, and then there are blessings associated with this kingdom of God being revealed in and through us as his children. I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up as we, uh, as we close out. Um, there's an author of a letter in the, uh, in the Bible. His name is James, um, potentially the brother of Jesus. Scholars aren't totally sure um, which James it is that's writing it, but many of them think it's the brother of Jesus. And this is what he writes in James chapter 5. He says, So confess your sins... In other words, be be made right with God. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Why? So that you may be healed. There's something about the spiritual and the physical that go hand in hand. Folks, this physical life that we lead, there is a spiritual component to it that we can never forget. If we try to forget it, it's going to bite us in the end. (laughs) Right? Because this life that we live is both spiritual and physical. And I love it that God wants to deal with both of those. And he deals with the most important one first with the paralytic. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then on top of that, he gives a further blessing of a physical healing in his life. Remember, it all started four friends who had a faith of action. They were persistent. They were risky. They were confident. And Jesus did not fail them. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. So here's my big question for you this morning. Um, We could could spend um, some time dealing with the repentance side of this, but but I really felt like in study that I wanted to go a slightly different direction with this. And I would like for you to take just a moment and think of a friend, a loved one, a co-worker, someone that you know that does not know Jesus, someone that you know at this point that is not serving God, someone might be more than four or five people, right? Um, Because we all have friends. Actually, uh, real quick, if you have a friend, raise your hand, just a friend, right? Any friends at all? If you got any friends, all right? Look around real quick. Keep your hands raised. Look around. Okay, lots of friends that are represented here. I hope some of your friends don't know Jesus. If they don't, find friends that don't know Jesus. Get to know them. Befriend them. Because people need to know Jesus, right? And so take the names of those friends that you have. Hold them in your heart really quickly. um, Because what I want us to do next is this. This for us, a small act of faith that I hope shows up very differently when we leave from this building. Because I want to pray for these friends of yours that you have. That you would begin to have a uh, persistent, risky, confident faith for them. Just like these four friends who brought the paralytic. Uh, to, to Jesus, and Jesus did a miraculous work in the life of this friend of theirs. I believe Jesus wants to do a miraculous work in the lives of your friends as well. And so we're going to spend these last moments together praying for those friends. So if you've got those friends right now in your heart, in your mind, wherever that is, what I want you to do is, is kind of lift up your hand as a sign saying, these friends, God, these are on my mind right now. And so, Father, we lift up these friends that we have in our hearts. God, they don't know you yet. But God, we are believing, Lord, as we leave from this place, that we would be a people marked uh, just like these four friends of the paralytic. 
God, that we would be marked with this faith that is persistent, it is risky, and it is confident, Lord, that we just have to bring our friends to you, and Jesus, you will take care of the rest. So, Father, we pray for our friends, Lord. Open up the right opportunities at the right time. And, God, let us be the ones that have the joy of leading our friends to you. God, let us be the ones that have the joy of uh, proclaiming over them the forgiveness of God. Uh, Lord, the, the, uh, the faith, Lord, that leads to healing, God, not only physically but also spiritually. Father, we claim these friends for you. We ask Jesus that you would give us the love of Christ for them. Some of these are people that we've been praying for for years, maybe even decades, loved ones, uh, uncles, or children that are far away from God. Lord, we are believing, Lord, that in 2021 that we won't forget them. And God, we would have that persistent, risky, and confident faith to bring them to you. God, help us to be like those friends who took that risk of opening that, uh, that roof. Uh, Lord, to bring them to Jesus, let us have that same kind of faith. So, Father, as we leave from this place today, ask for your blessing upon your people. Lord, guide us and direct us. Lord, help us to represent you well when we leave so that, God, we can bring people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I thank you that you have called us to, to, uh, to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to fulfill that call upon our lives. Lord, we love you this day. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being with us here at Life Church Utah today. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, don't forget Wednesday nights, you can sign up out in the lobby for online and in-person classes. Otherwise, we'll see you next week going through Mark chapter 3. If you want to get ahead, go ahead and read it. Bless you.